Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. You never know what bridge you're building. And, you know, you build bridges with people. And I felt like a lot of my success is because I build bridges with people. That clip you just heard was from our very special guest, Bob McAdams. Bob has definitely been a major influencer in the profession. He serves on the State Board of Public Accountancy in Texas. He's served many roles at the local level. And from an educational standpoint, you will really enjoy this podcast as well because he started with a local firm in his mid-20s, straight out of college, ended up becoming the managing partner and then eventually merged that firm into BDO, one of the largest firms in the United States. And now he has the job that pretty much anyone would want. But I'll save those details for the body of the interview. I'm really sure you're going to enjoy this episode. Without further delay, here's my interview with Bob McAdams. Bob, thank you for taking the time to schedule this. I, I know your time is valuable and, frankly, perhaps even more in demand since retiring from BDO. <laughs> I think you're right. My wife told me recently, she said, I think you're busier now than when you worked in public accounting. So <laughs> That's pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's not all work, though. Some well, of it's fun. That is good. Well, well, you've had a successful and eventful career, obviously, joining a local firm and you know being a part of that firm's growth and eventually becoming a managing partner. I definitely want to talk about that progress and and then mm-hmm. eventually merging that practice into a much larger firm. So mm-hmm. you know, obviously, there's a lot to talk about on this episode. Primarily, though, and, and you may not know this, but we have the same alma mater. I'm a St. Mary's graduate myself. And so it was about time I got another Rattler on the program. All right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, I know our audience is going to learn a lot from your experiences. So I'd like to start at the beginning. How did you get started in accounting? Was that something you always knew you'd pursue as a career, or was that a decision made in college? How, how did that start? Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, I wish I could have said, you know, when I was 10 years old, I saw a CPA and wanted to become a CPA, but that it didn't happen, okay? It, it's very <laughs> practical, really, which I tend to be a pretty practical person. What happened was that I went to San Antonio College for two years before I went to St. Mary's, and I had two courses that really I liked a lot. One of them was economics, and the other was accounting. So my first thought was, you know, I want I want to major in, in accounting, thinking, well, I wonder what kind of job. But no, I, I, I actually didn't think that far down the road. 
But I made good grades in accounting, so I made a very practical decision. I better be an accountant, and I'm glad I did. I went to St. Mary's, and I had one of the best teachers I ever had, Brother George Malachek. And he was a very hard teacher. He made you work the entire semester for your grade. But I felt I learned so much from him. And then time came to interview, and the placement director, his his name last name was Donahue, and he was a very nice man. And he said, uh, I have a call from uh, Mr. Bill Chumney, and he's looking for a staff person. Would you be interested? And I said, oh, of course I would. So I went down and interviewed with Bill. He made me a, an offer. And really at that time, I was just interested in getting a job because I was interested in getting married. And I was pretty sure that my future father-in-law wanted me to have a job. So, <laughs> so usually works best. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you know, I started off with, you know, I got a job and I have some, this accounting background and gee, I hope it all works out. And my first thought was, can I take my intermediate accounting book with me in case I have a question? <laughs> I never did use it, by the way. I put it on the shelf and it was there for many years. <laughs> but that's how I got started in accounting. So, so your interme- intermediate book was basically your security blanket there for, for a while. Right, right. I, I didn't know, you know, if they handed me something like, I want you to amortize this and or something. I'd say, I'll see, how do we do that? But anyway, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was very much a mentoring situation in which it seemed like I was always given things either I understood or they explained to me and I felt, I knew how to do it and gradually worked through becoming, uh, well, I started as a staff. And at that time at Canero Chumney, and by the way, I did forgot to mention that the name of the firm was Canero Chumney and Company. Hmm. And Bill's father, who was still with the firm, founded the firm, and Mr. Canero was there. But Bill Chumney Jr. was the one that hired me and really became later such an important part of my life, someone I admired for all of his life. He recently died, but he was probably pretty close to one of the people that I consider a mentor. But then I worked myself to senior and then manager, and then one day Bill said, well, we're going to take in some new partners, and I'd like you to be one of them. And I said, oh, great. That's what I want to do. It was a very gradual thing where I decided that this was the career that I always, this is the job I always wanted or that I, you know, that I want to stay in and stay with it. And I also felt very comfortable with the people I worked with and I liked the clients. So I was thinking this is, this is good. Very good. So I worked myself up to partner and then At one point in the firm, we had a little reorganization, and I became the personnel partner. So I was in charge of personnel, as well as, of course, the usual things with the technical part of the job and taking care of clients. And then Bill gets ready to retire, and I'm the obvious choice, although there was some some of the people, some of the other partners thought, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should do something different and and not have a managing partner. And there was a big discussion at the retreat. This is an interesting story on why we should have a managing partner. 
And finally, the reason that we need a managing partner, because if someone called and said they want to speak to the managing partner, we'd have somebody to talk to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I think that I really get, I, I, I just sat there and listened to that conversation and thought, really, come on, people, it, it, it's got to be a better reason. So that's how I became managing partner. And that was after 10 years being After with 10 firm. years. Okay, mm-hmm. when you became managing partner, not just partner, but 10 years. Oh, no. I became, no, that's that's right. Now that I think about it, it was, I was there 10 years, I believe, to become a partner. And then it was probably another six years to become managing partner. So, yeah, in those days, people, you know, you didn't become a partner right away. You had to work your way up and... You know, you had to get the experience. You had to show that you could take care of clients, but not only that, but you could, you can attract clients and that you had technical skills to handle that part of it and that you had the personal skills to handle the client relation part of it. So it takes time to do that when you start at 22 years old. So, yes, yes, definitely, definitely. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 no. It's all right. That's, that's what that was. Uh, I, I was going to bring you right up to. That was when I became managing partner. Hmm. You definitely paid your dues. I'm curious, at that time when they were considering not having a managing partner, was that a new concept in the industry or was that something that just your particular firm was kicking around? No, no. Actually, we had three managing partners in total for for Canero Chimney and Company as a firm who was 73 years old when we merged. And that was Bill Chumney Sr., Bill Chumney Jr., and me. And that was the only non-family member, obviously. And so they always had a managing partner. Okay. I didn't know if that maybe was a new concept in the industry that they were considering. Because I've, I've never heard of that. that. Well, I do think that the concept or the the way that it, it played out in actuality as to duties and what you did and everything, developed over a period of time when I became managing partner, we more and more realized the managing partner has to be more somebody who who signs the checks and, you know, makes sure the books are kept. And so it developed into more of a CEO position. I was told by one of the consultants we work with that partnerships are the hardest type of organization that you can form because you have essentially equal partners is what we had. And so everybody is is a boss, so to speak. And they, you know, most people in a situation like that don't really want one partner to have too much, too much power, but you've got to give them some. So it developed more and more into a CEO position. And one of the things that in order for me to to have the partners pay more attention, to put it bluntly, is to make compensation part of the package. And that is that I had a pool of money, which I divvied up every year based on performance. So that gave me more, I guess, what I'm thinking of is attention from sure. the partners when, when we were planning something. And I'd, you know, I'd say, well, this is this is the way I think we ought to go. But I was a very consultive leader. I always said that when I walked into the room to take a vote on something I was, I wanted to do for the firm, I knew how the vote was going to come out. 
So I worked with the individual partners to, you know, discuss with them, get their ideas, and it would even change some of the some of the structures so that they had much more of a role in it and felt that when we made the decision that they were part of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. Er- earlier on in your career, were you entrepreneurial in any way or did you have a would you perceive maybe as a higher level to drive of drive to, to work your way up to partner quickly and or or is this just something that you were fortunate and got in with the right people and, and it worked out? I mean, how did well, I definitely be believe that a lot of my success was being in the right place at the right time with the right people. But I will say that I'm also believe that God that there's mm-hmm. uh, a guidance in your life. And so I, I, I think that I, I always had that, that guidance of God, you know, to direct me in the right direction. But to be completely honest, when I started, I was just happy to have a job. <laughs> and I was more interested in, you know, having a life with, with my wife, and then we had children. And that was important to me. The job was important, and and it grew over a period of time. It grew because relationships with clients, relationships with people at the firm, the kinds of jobs we did, and then developing more expertise in certain areas and and the firm growing to be able to, that I would be able to devote myself to to a specialty as well as managing the firm. So it, it was a work in process over that period of time. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. I think being in the right place at the right time with the right people, you're right. That's a big key. And, and then, you know, God to guide you as well. Yes, definitely. Exactly. Well, I believe, and, and I may have this wrong, but I believe Carnero was the first local firm of reasonable size, you know, to merge into a regional or a national firm or that I can remember at least. And, and, in San Antonio. And, you know, six years down the road now, that seems to have worked out real well for BDO. BDO has a, a very strong office. Mm-hmm. How did that process start on y'all's side? Right. Let me say, first of all, I know that Ernst & Young got in San Antonio, you know, long time ago, long time ago, by merging with a local firm. Oh, And okay. so, but of recent time, yes, at the time we did this, there were a lot of local firms and large local firms that were not merged. So for recent times, yes, we were. But anyway, yes, how we did this, and again, I <laughs> I say uh, divine providence probably working here, but I went to a conference somewhere and somebody introduced me to this organization called BDO Seedman Alliance. And I I found out, went to a a meeting with them and found out that what it was is it would be local firms that want to align with BDO and to tap into their resources. And I realized as a local firm, we were going to be limited on how we could serve our clients unless we had more resources. And those would include national resources, national experts, access to the way other firms know more, getting more information about 
how other firms are being successful. So we joined the Alliance, and we were members of that, and I believe it was 10 years we were in the Alliance. And okay. and by that way, uh, we, we certainly got to know more people at PDO and some of the partners. And there's an annual Alliance conference, and somebody approached us one of the other partners, actually, and, and he was in charge. At the time, BDO had started an initiative to merge with firms. To They saw it as a growth strategy. And so they had merged with the firm in Dallas, and that was the only BDO office they had. And they had a partner dedicated to that pursuit, is to look at firms that that they wanted to merge with. These would be large local firms who had a firm footing and had a substantial book of business and could aid them in their quest to grow the firm. So started talking to them and negotiating and what was happening to us, and I could see this happening, is that as, as good a firm as we were, we weren't quite positioned leadership-wise to continue the firm as we did. And what happened to us is, and it happened to a lot of firms, or, is that we had a lot of people who were around the same age that wanted to retire. So what happened is we, we saw then, you know, this these people going out and their relationships with their clients would have to be redone as well as new leadership for the firm and and just sort of like oh my god we're just realizing all of this is coming within a three to four year period and so we weren't completely prepared for it although we had some partners coming up that were certainly had great skills in in both the the firm side of it and relationship but so we talked to bdo and and it seemed like more and more, it seemed like this was the thing to do. We had an unfunded obligation to the retiring partners, which would have to be paid for by the remaining partners. So that was something on their mind. You know, how are we going <laughs> to, sure. we've got to maintain all these clients and we've got to maintain enough income to pay ourselves, and of course, pay our people, but also to pay this obligation to the retiring partners. So BDO, we negotiated a deal with them where the partners of our firm would become partners in BDO. And, you know, the actual details of it worked in such a way that it made it very attractive for us. So okay. that is what happened. I stayed on for three years. Okay. And they actually don't have a managing partner, interesting enough, of the office. <laughs> They have partners over the audit and tax, so it's it's more of a – and then they have a regional partner that's over the office. So actually, I, I stepped down as managing partner, and our audit partner, Eddie Guerra, be, became the head – well, he was the head of the audit department, and Alan Robertson was the tax partner. So those two guys were – in charge of the office and transition. And, and of course, I helped all I could. So I was more or less the person that was more in charge of the transition and making sure that that we, we did that in a way that our clients were served and they felt 
that they were, you know, we weren't abandoning them for a national firm. So, and it turned out very well. As you know, after I left, they merged with Travis Wolf. Mm -hmm. And I think they're, I think they're the third or fourth largest firm in San Antonio at this time. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I believe BDO itself is, I know it's in the top 10 nationally. Oh, yes. It's it's a second tier, and I believe they are fifth. But I think stats just came out that they're one of the fastest growing firms Hmm. in the United States in in that second tier. So... Wonderful, wonderful. I thought it was fifth. I, I, I didn't want to overstep. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. for anyone else that's listening, yeah, I'm always curious about the process for these things, particularly given all the deadlines that we have in accounting throughout the year. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, approximately, how long did it take from the time you started talking to BDO to the time where? It was a negotiated merger. How long did that process take? You know, it was, in my mind, it was probably less than a year. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. And I think, again, it was the right time for everyone, those retiring and those that were going to have to, you know, maintain the firm to consider a different structure in order to continue to serve our clients, but even more so to serve them, you know, even more directly with these services that BDO could provide and also to, to, to take care of the retiring partners, to give them assurance that their obligation would be paid. So it was a unanimous decision of the partners to do this, to merge. And, you know, we, we had some successful retirements. We actually only have, I believe, one partner left from the original six that we had at the time of the merger. Hmm. That was so most six. most retired one went with a client. And I think almost everybody else retired. Now Eddie is with the United Way where I am now. Oh. And he is the CFO with the United Way. He he uh, I had the United Way as a client for oh gosh, I think thirty years. And when I announced my retirement, the CEO of the United Way called me and said, I'd like you to come to work for us. And I said, well, I don't want to work full time, but what do you have in mind? And he, and he started outlining things. They were more management oriented, but a lot of it involved the agencies working with the agencies, which I like. And I knew a lot of them because a lot of them were clients. So felt very comfortable going into it and comfortable with him. And so... Uh, that's what I'm doing now is I work about 25 hours a week, and it's flexible days, flexible hours, and I work mostly on projects, but the kind of continuing responsibility I have is working with the agencies on some areas like affiliation and accountability. So that's what I'm doing now. And oh. it's it's really a great thing. Uh, as I mentioned, Eddie Guerra retired from BDO, and he came on as the CFO. And there's some other people from the firm that work there as well. So it's continuing relationships, and and the work is very fulfilling, kind of different thing, but fulfilling. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that does sound nice. You've got some similar faces, but you're doing something that's that's a little different, which is nice. Different and, and working for the community, you know, for the good of the community, which, you know, we work, of course, in public accounting. You're working for the success of the clients, you know, with the thing always under the ethical and professional CPA guidance and, and so on. And so I'm using my counting skills in a different way now, but I think the work itself is rewarding and in a different way. It was always rewarding working with clients and helping them. But this sure. is this is a little broader in that, you know, working more in, in the community type of services that are being provided by the programs and agencies of the United Way. Yeah, you know, you transitioned into this, which is exactly what I wanted to talk about, getting into the United Way. It did seem to me that you went from, you know, retiring at BDO to immediately going to work for United Way. Was there any time in between there? Did you... Play yes, there was, at all? actually. <laughs> My wife and I went to Ireland. Um, okay. And we, I think we spent almost two weeks there, and we, we were with a church group and and had a wonderful time, and, and it was a wonderful kind of transition. And then working 25 hours a week is so different from what point. I was doing, <laughs> and it's just a whole new life and and my wife and I we take a trip a month so we're going to Las Vegas actually on Sunday and then the following month in April we're going to New Orleans and we hadn't planned our our May trip yet so you have the job that everyone wants it sounds like I know <laughs> our the CEO at the United Way always says he says, I want to be you. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm pretty sure you can get there. You play your cards right. You can be there. <laughs> well, now, you're very involved. Obviously, you've been involved with TSCPA, but you're also on the state board, correct? Yes. Okay. And that was something, you know, you had said something about that I always want to be a managing partner. But there came a time in my growth, both as a person and professionally, that when I would be in an organization or something, I'd start thinking of, I'd like to be a leader here, you know, in the firm, mm. in the profession, and so on. And one of the things that I would like to have, that was in the back of my mind, and I had actually been recommended before, but was not chosen for the state board, but this was an ideal time because I was just transitioning from the firm when they asked me. Oh. So I was involved in, you have to be active in public accounting, and I was at the time that I was placed on the board. But I have immensely enjoyed being with the board, just being around some more professionals and the kind of work that we do there to protect the integrity of the CPA certificate and to protect the public from people that are not qualified and call themselves accountants. So, And I'm actually the treasurer now, which is kind of one of those things, you know, CPA. But <laughs> if we had a lot of yeah. other CPAs that could have done it. But, I, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I have learned to learn more about governmental accounting. And oh. so I, I feel very comfortable in that position now. Okay. Okay. 
how did they know to contact you? Was it, did you know somebody and you had expressed an interest at one time or do they look at just managing partners around the state? How does, how does that work? You know, I don't know exactly. The TSCPA actively suggests people okay. to them. And obviously, they want to get people who are knowledgeable in the profession and also involved in TSCPA so that we can connect sure. those together as necessary. But about five years earlier, I was asked by the TSCPA to submit my resume. And I did, and I interviewed with the appointment secretary at the state. And so then she called and told me that, well, she had indicated that she thought I'd make a good member of the board. And then she called and told me that they had some different considerations. So at this time, they were not going to. But when I was near retirement, Pat Wilson, whom you know from our local chapter and has been very active. He had been a mentor of mine for some years. And in fact, he's the one that got me on to the TSCPA leadership. He had nominated me and, and promoted me there. So he called the appointment secretary when there was an opening and he, he said, have you, have you checked about Bob McAdams? And she said, you know, I have his resume here. So it just kind of played out from there. And the, okay. the day that I got the message that I had been approved by the by the governor, I called Pat Wilson that day and told him that thanks to him, I, I was doing something that I had been wanting to do for a long time. So, wow. Wow. That's great. It is. Yeah. And you know, something I want to just share on that is a lot of times you never know what bridge you're building and you build bridges with people. And I felt like a lot of my success is because I built bridges with people, not ever knowing whether or not it would ever be, not because I'm hoping to get something from them, but just because I believe in it and I, I believe in, in fostering relationships. And that's what it's about, no matter what you do. But I think it's really important in, in public accounting and certainly in private accounting as well. So those bridges come out to you never know when something is going to happen that connects you to those people again. So if I were to give advice to anyone uh, in starting public accounting is, you know, just just start building those bridges. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can never go wrong by treating your, your fellow neighbor as yourself, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's about, the respect and all. But you also have to seek people out. You don't wait for them to come to you. You make sure that you keep those relationships going. So, Good point. I'm curious. You've obviously had a successful career. You, you've been very influential in the profession. If you could go back, is there anything you would have done differently? Any risk you would have taken? Any, any advice you give your younger self? <laughs> you know, that, that's interesting that you ask that because... I bet there were a lot of things, if I really thought about it, that I wish I'd done differently. I think of sometimes maybe just small things that maybe the way I handled a certain situation should have handled that better. But, you know, it's all part of the learning process. I always used to tell the young people in the firm that it's okay to make mistakes, but be sure you learn from them, you know. (laughs) And, And so 
I think things work out as, as they should have for me. I mean, I don't see anything that's a, that was a big, big mistake. That, but a lot of other, a lot of mistakes were made for sure, and and a lot of times I had to carry my hat in hand and you know ask for, admit that I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I always felt because I had good relationship with my clients and with my partners and with the people in the firm that they were willing to accept me and accept me as whether it was an apology or or whether I was just the admission of a mistake and that I, I certainly learned from it. But so I think that's another thing that a lot of people could learn from is that when you make a mistake, own up to it and, you know, see how you can make it better. And so Hmm. it worked for me. I just want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, there's four questions I end every podcast with. I Mm -hmm. want to get into that because I want to be respective of your time as well. Sure. First question, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, gosh. Well, personally, Mm -hmm. personally, it would have to be deciding and my present wife agreeing to marry me. I suppose that's that's got to be one of my proudest things because a relationship, we've been married this year, it'll be 53 years. And we have two daughters and six grandkids and it's been a wonderful, wonderful life and continues to be. So I'm I'm very proud that I chose her and that she accepted me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm very proud of my children. Of course, now I'm going to venture off and be more proud of different and my children and grandchildren. But I am also very proud of, of my involvement in the profession. I have had so many wonderful opportunities. And also in the community, I, I've, I've been involved in the community and, and some boards. And, and there have been times when I felt very very lucky to have experienced the opportunity to see how some efforts, not mine, but the efforts of our organizations can change people's lives. So, gosh, okay, you're making me feel even prouder that <laughs> right now, <laughs> because I, I'm thinking of all of the things, some of the things and how much difference they made in my life, you know, and in, in, in the, uh, I don't know. I just, I just uh, really feel feel good about being involved. That that is important. I'll I'll help you change your train of thought with question number two. Tell us about a mistake you've made. What you learned from it, of course. And the more colossal, the better. Oh gosh, <laughs> let me let me count the ways. Huh? Most of the things mistakes I have made probably involve something to do with a decision or, you know, the way I handled something with a client and then discovered that, like I said, I, I don't, I was able to negotiate that in a way that it didn't affect them as much. And I, I don't know, colossal, that that's pretty big. <laughs> so <laughs> are you talking uh, about interpersonal issues or, or a, you know, mistake on a tax return or, Oh, all the above. <laughs> all the <laughs> No, no. I, I suppose the hardest things were when I found a, we had made, and, I, and sometimes I have to say we because it was a team effort that we had made a, a, a bad mistake on mm-hmm. a client issue or 
that I might have started off on the wrong path and some advice and then realized that that's not, you know, the advice wasn't, wasn't good advice. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the hardest thing is when you're really trying to do good for someone and that includes personal, you know, and then you find out that it's a, a mistake the way or that you led them down the wrong path. So I, I really can't think of a one instant of, of that, but you bring up a good point, though. It's, it's interesting. We're in a profession where people expect us to be perfect as accountants, but thank You're goodness. Right. You're um, right, and, and mm-hmm. that's where the relationship comes in, because if, if they know you as a person, whether it's in a relationship, personal relationship, or in a business relationship, they're more willing to forgive you. That's what I found, mm-hmm. and I think of the wonderful people that I've known, both business and personal, that, you know, where I've had to admit to something, you know, making a mistake in the way I handled something or in the way I spoke or something. And and the most times they're very forgiving. And even though I took it very hard, they, they really did not take it, in some cases, as hard as, as what I did. So, hmm. yes. Well, third question, who's been the biggest mentor or biggest influencer for you yes. in your career? Well, I've had many people, as I mentioned, you know, a couple of names who have been very instrumental. But I think overall, going back to, you know, first of all, just getting started in public accounting, being hired by Bill Chumney Jr., and then working with him for, let me see how long I worked with him, probably 40 years I worked with him. And as a person and as a professional, I so admired him, and he always had an open door. So I, th- I think I would probably say he had the biggest influence in my career. Okay. Well, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, I think it would be that you never give anything away without getting it back. And what I mean by that is when you're giving your attention to a client and empathy and or to a person or you're trying to help someone and you don't expect to get anything for it, but you always do. You, you always get something back. Kind of along the lines I was talking about when you develop a relationship in which, you know, there's give and take and, and, and then at some point you realize that you really have gotten more from that relationship than what you've given. So, and, and I found that in business too, to be the same, that you're treating a client well, you're get, doing your, your best and you're doing a lot of times your all for them. And yes, they're paying you, but all of us, I mean, you realize how much it helped you and how much you grew from that experience. And so... I think that's something that made a big impression on me. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought how much I had gotten from a lot of things that I that I did and have done and continue to do. I guess that can apply to good things and bad things or positive and negative, I guess. You, you never give anything away without gaining it back. It, that's right. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> you know, you, you never know. Like I, I said before, you never know. And so it's certainly been a, a great journey for me, and I'm still on it. <laughs> I'm still learning. 
I feel like every day I learn something I didn't know both personally and, and in business. So you always have to be in that mode of being alert and receiving receiving knowledge and experience and and then you give it back in other ways. Yes. Well, to close out, you're with United Way. Is there anything upcoming? Because this episode will air in mid-April approximately. So is there anything coming up in the summertime that, that you'd like to publicize with United Way or any of the supported agencies? Or, or if not, if people wanted to get involved with United Way or find out more about the programs that United Way supports, what's the best way to do that? Well, probably the easiest way is to go online. We have a wonderful website that you can find out, you know, if you're interested. We have so many ways that we can help people, but also ways you can help. We actually have uh, a volunteer center that uh, is not only for United Way, but for agencies and other programs. And so if someone were to contact us and say, I really want to work with children, we can, we have agencies that have contacted us in programs that work with children that, you know, and so we can give you a variety of ways you can help. One of the ways that CPAs and accountants can help is in our accountability process every year, we review the programs and the agencies, which are part of the United Way, what we call them partners, actually, delivering services in the community. And we review the financial side as well as the program side and the governance and everything like that. So we're always looking for volunteers to serve in the accountability process and so that that's probably, and we start recruiting, well, we recruit year-round, but it's mostly done right at the end of the year and, and the first part of the year, which may not be a good time for some some CPAs. <laughs> but, but anyway, we have a number of, of CPAs, both in, in public and in private, that have volunteered their time, and we're always looking for more. Okay. And if uh, an accountant wants to volunteer specifically in that capacity, can they find that information on the United Way website as well? They can. They can. And that's probably the easiest way to do it. The Volunteer Center is on there, and uh, I believe it lists the opportunities that are available. And, you know, you may see something that speaks to you and that you would like to do. So that's probably the best thing I could say. Volunteers are the backbone of the United Way, both from the governance side and from the agency and program side. So it's it's vital to us. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. I will be sure to include that in the show notes. I'll find the link and, and put that online as well so people oh, great. in the audio and in text. So thank you very much. Well, this has You're been welcome. a good interview. Well, thanks. I, I hope it was. I certainly am not one to to be too shy about <laughs> conversation or whatever, and especially things I'm passionate about. Well, you're you're a very gracious person. I appreciate you sharing your time. Okay. I, like I said, I know your time is valuable, so thank you. Well, very thank much. you for asking me. I, I feel like it was a privilege, really, to be able to talk about these things and with, like I said, things I'm passionate about. So, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm the fortunate one. I I appreciate it. So okay. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. As I alluded to in the intro, there was a lot of value 
that Bob shared in this interview. I really was honored that he took the time out of his schedule to record this for us. As Bob mentioned, if you would like to get more information on United Way or volunteering with one of their many supported agencies, please visit the Volunteer Center on the web for links to all of the options. This has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if I could ask you to do one thing, please like or share the episode where you found it, whether that's through your podcast app, LinkedIn, Facebook, or the whereaccountantsgo.com website itself. It really helps us to continue to spread the word. I hope you have a great week. There's more to come.